Pushing Faders in association with SVG Europe Audio. Hello and welcome to Pushing Faders, the TV and broadcast sound podcast. I'm Chris Eckford and on this week's episode I'm chatting with Richard Silito and Andy Tapley about their work on the BBC Strictly Come Dancing. Now, I've kind of got a feeling you all know what Strictly Come Dancing is and I don't need to provide too much of an introduction to that, so uh, let's get straight into it. Uh, well, thank you both for joining me um, on, on Pushing Faders. Pleasure to be here. Thanks yeah. for having us on board. Lovely to be here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for inviting us. I think you, Richard, made a, a joke about the BBC days of pulling faders rather than pushing. Yes. Yeah, both Andy and I come from a BBC background, so we're used to pulling it closer to you to make it louder, which is just, you know, tradition. <laughs> well, because yeah. when I was over at Carlrec last week, they got um, one of the desks with the, the, the very early um, Carlrec mixes, and that had obviously pulled towards faders, and the... Uh, Henry who was over there thought it was because of the the concept came from the fact that the faders were like on a on a curved platform. They, they, yes, they used to be they the quadrant faders. That's right. And funny enough, I mean, I've seen all the sort of different um, uh, eras of, of sound desk in my time at the BBC. So um, I think, and actually now we have just one left that where the faders go the other way round. So mm. it's been yeah, a slow process to sort of move over. But I, I, still, a lot of sound supervisors say they prefer it. I think you do, Richard, don't you, Still, Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of good reasons why they're, they're good. You, you end up, particularly in broadcast, where you're switching lots of things often. You don't always have everything faded up there out of your way at the top of the fader travel when mm-hmm. you're not using them, which is nice. And uh, when you're working on them, you're actually want, working under your knuckles. So it's supposed to be better for RSI. Right. So there are good reasons for them. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's six one half a dozen of the other. <laughs> when I was, I, at- I think that sort of the reasons for it were, I mean, well, it's in folklore that if you you weren't like or you were less likely to blow up a transmitter by by knocking a fader. So <laughs> if you knock <laughs> of your hand, then you'd sort of be making it quieter rather than louder. But I'm not sure that's true. But I heard that the it was to do with the uh, supervisors falling asleep and you didn't push the faders up rather than. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the real reason. <laughs> Much more likely. We when I was when I was, when I was at Televideo we had we bought two trucks from Sis and they had the option to flip the faders and one of um, my bosses there was messing about with it whilst I was like I think I nipped to the toilet before we went on air and I came back and he'd flipped the faders and I was like oh, I hit the button to put them back <laughs> and then he did it again I was about to do something else and he did it a couple more times and by the time he'd finished some of the faders were up and some were down and they, and they, they broke they didn't know which one <laughs> what they were doing. <laughs> So oh, brilliant. Yeah. We, we, yeah. we did have a situation actually for a while where we had a, a, a sound control room where we had a, a sub mixing desk where the faders went one way on one desk and the other way on the other desk. And that's very confusing to do a crossfade. It, it does, does confuse you. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, so we're obviously here to, um, to talk about Strictly as, as the main um, focus of the podcast. But if just as a, wait, as a bit of a background, if you can just have a chat about how you started in TV and sort of where it's led you. Okay. Shall I, shall I kick off then? I mean, I, um, so. I joined the BBC in 1987, um, and in those days it was BBC Television Centre, there was eight studios where you could have any sort of programme being made from sports, drama, um, light entertainment, um, to pretty much anything. So you could be in a tea bar queuing next to a Doctor Who monster. So it was a very fun place to work. Um, 
And I sort of then have had uh, been sort of with the BBC throughout, really, in its various guises, as we've now become sort of commercial. And I now work for BBC Studio Works. Um, so it's been a fabulous career, and I've had a lot of variety of different things to work on. Um, opportunity to work on outside broadcasts. I've been off working on the Olympics, um, uh, working on all sorts of genres of, 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 of TV show. Um, so it's been a very, very fun time. Um, as well as that, though, I, I also have another hat, which which is my sort of technology hat, where I, I actually design the sound infrastructures for all of Studio Works Studios now. Um, so that's Elstree um, Television Centre, which we refitted in 2017, um, and also Kelvin Hall, which is which is part of our portfolios. So um, a lot of my time is spent with the um, the design side and um, the um, putting the infrastructure in, um, and the other half really is um, mixing. So. Uh, that's my sort of my me in a nutshell anyway so over to you richard <laughs> okay uh and me in a nutshell is um i was fortunate enough that my dad actually worked at the bbc he was a uh, vta uh, vt editor and mainly worked on light entertainment shows so i spent a lot of my childhood going and sitting in at television center sitting in on rehearsals and that sort of thing and so when i came to leave school i thought oh i quite like the idea of working in this area um, but I was quite keen that I didn't do it just because my dad did it. I wanted to prove to myself that I really did want to do it. So I went off and did a chemistry degree, which within a term proved to me that I didn't want to do chemistry and I wanted to do sound. Um, I also didn't want to get into the industry just because my dad had asked people, as it were. I wanted to get there under my own steam. So I applied to all the usual places to get work. And eventually I managed to land a job at Capital Studios in Wandsworth. That used to be Keith Hewitt's place. Um, spent a good time there, started as a technical runner and then became a floor sound assistant. And then I got a wonderful opportunity to join a company that was setting up a post-production facility. Uh, so I actually joined them for a while, but it was such a small company that I was the first employee. Um, and we, I spent my first year soldering on um, chat plugs and that sort of thing to make the studio work. Uh, and because it was a small company that had BBC Heritage, the, the guy who ran it was an ex-BBC sound supervisor. Um, we actually got our fingers into all sorts of things, so I went off and did quite a few theatre tours, a few arena tours, as well as doing straight post-production. Um, did a lot of radio, a lot of TV post. And it was never for me. I never really wanted to end up in post per permanently. It was good to have the experience. Um, and so after a while, that came to a natural end and I became a freelancer and I sort of almost went back to the start. I started freelancing on the studio floor just to get my name known. And then I was fortunate enough to move upstairs into the gallery. I became a gram op and there's a wonderful supervisor, Tony Revel, who very much took me under his wing. So I ended up gramming for him a lot of the time. Um, and Tony used to be in my seat at Strictly and a few years ago, well, about five years ago now, he retired. And so he very kindly passed the mantle on to me. And so um, I've ended up in the best job. And to close the circle, when I was a kid going in to see things with my dad, Tony used to mix a lot of the shows my dad used to do. And I used to sit behind him on a few of them. And then I sort of never stayed in touch with him. But then it came full circle to where I was working behind him as his grandma and then doing that job. And I remember being a sort of 13-year-old spotty kid thinking, one day I want to do what he does. And I'm fortunate enough that I now do do what he does or did. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just to add to that, I mean, Tony has been hugely instrumental in both of our careers, I think, and likewise with, with Richard coming in and joining me on Strictly. Um, 
I worked with Tony for many years on uh, the various sort of LE shows, music shows, um, Android Webber, we did, um, uh, what's it, Maria, um, Joseph, um, the various sort of Android Webber shows, but then we're Strictly actually for the last 14 years. So um, yeah, he was very important and, and very sort of nurturing in both of our careers. Great, great guy to work with. So Richard, were you the gram up uh, previous to that then? I wasn't actually on Strictly. Um, no, um, I filled in. Strictly is a funny show for me because I've worked on it for years and years and years, right back from when I was doing stuff on the floor as a freelancer, uh, putting a few mics out in the band and that sort of thing, through to uh, we used to do it in surround, so we used to have a separate surround mix area, and I used to look after that for a bit, or be one of the, not look after it on my own, but I was one of the people who went in there and mixed some of the shows. Um, and there was an occasion when um, Howard, who used to be the grandmop he used to do Strictly, he went ill at very short notice, so I got a phone call, and that day I was doing grams on the final one year, um, just stepped in. And Andy, periodically, although uh, as he's mixed the band for many years, um, sometimes he would have a week off or something for, for whatever reason, and he very kindly let me sit in his seat, and I got to push the faders on the band, which was fantastic. So over the years, I've actually done pretty much every sound job on the show in different guises and so uh, what uh, what year did you make the step up from to, to, to be the supervisor on it uh this is where you will quickly learn that i'm terrible with schedules and i can never remember what years things happened <laughs> let's say it was about six years ago right that's about right isn't it andy <laughs> i think it was 2018 rich i think that's when it happened thank you when, yeah 2018 <laughs> so um yeah that was when tony what? Tony retires and then you took on you took on his role. It seems like such a big event, um, like obviously, especially from the first round. It, I think it, it looks like it whittles its way down to a slightly smaller job as you get towards the end, and then probably ramps back up a little bit. But yeah. without giving too much away, what's the general setup and uh, for the show? Um, yes, I don't know who should lead on this really, but it's because it's very much a two man operation at the front of the desk and then mm. a much larger team behind us to make it all work because it is such a big show and it takes all of us to to make it happen um in very broad terms where's the best way to start with this in broad terms andy and i split the the mixing um between band and presentation so i sit on one side of a desk doing the presentation side and andy sits on the other side doing the band that's a bit of a simplistic breakdown, really, because we actually help each other out throughout the show. So, for instance, um, I'll, I look after Claude and Tess and the judges and the VTs and the audience mics, uh, some guest mics, and um, I also look after the vocals in the band, and Andy mixes the whole host of the rest of the band, which he'll tell you about in a minute, I'm sure, mm. but also helps me out by mixing the couple's mics when we're not in a singing number. Um, so it's quite a good uh, division of labour. Um, in terms of the show as a whole, um, in fact, I've probably gone off on a bit of a wrong angle here, Andy, so do you want to pick it up? Yeah, I mean, so what Rich says, right, I mean, basically, it's unusual because, for one thing, we're both sitting at the same desk mixing a show, which which is unusual in that if you had, I mean, traditionally, you'd probably split it, that the, the music mix would be done uh, as a sub-mix and then come into a presentation as a sub-mix. 
uh, into a presentation desk. But we've found that um, actually sitting next to each other is hugely beneficial just because we have that immediate sort of line of contact. We can look at each other. I can scowl if I think something's going wrong. <laughs> but I mean, on the whole, it's sort of, you know, we it, it's, it's very, very beneficial just to be working together um, on that show. I mean, it is it, it's such a big show to me. It'd be very, very difficult to do by yourself. Um, and actually, as it's evolved over the years, the, the sort of the, the mix, certainly from the music side, has become more and more um, precise. I mean, we're sort of looking at the genres of music that we go between. Um, you know, it can be big band jazz to very produced pop to um, to orchestral. And so, actually, what we're setting up um, on each of those mixes is representative of a genre of music. And um, so, actually, we sort of ended up, I think, in a in a sort of um, a very sort of tight working uh working way or, or i'm trying to think of the right word um yeah a very yeah, a, a very sympathetic way of working with each other because inevitably each other's mix has an impact on what the other's doing and so being on the same desk we're able to react to what we're doing and and, and produce something that's very much a uniform piece that we're trying to deliver yeah i mean obviously the show itself is on a very tight schedule. I mean, we have um, uh, we have the Friday for a camera rehearsal, or we have the Friday evening. So we have a band session uh, from in, on the Friday evening. So sort of like throughout Friday, we don't actually have the band. That's all. All the couples are rehearsing to track. So we actually only have the band for three hours on a Friday evening, and then for the whole Saturday. So um, on the Saturday, uh, each couple has two runs through of their their piece with the live band. So. In terms of getting a mix together, we don't have much time at all. Um, and then we're obviously up against the deadline of going on air at half past six or seven o'clock or whatever it is. So what I'm saying is we've had to develop a workflow uh, where we can um, actually put the quality or, or deliver the quality, but within very tight time constraints. So actually having these two, two of us sit at the desk working harmoniously together has actually proved you know hugely beneficial. And that's how yeah. we achieve it. What would you say the major challenges are with with putting the whole thing together? It is everyone always describes these sort of shows as juggernaut shows, and that's a very good way of describing them. And once you've set them out the gates, they just keep on going, and you've got that impending uh, transmission time coming on the Saturday, and everything's working towards that. And it is a huge amount amount of material to get through. Um, your uh, mentioned earlier of the sort of arc of the series is very true and right at the start of the series we obviously begin with 15 couples and so on that first Friday night in that three-hour band call where the band have never seen the dots before they're just literally sitting down and that's the first time they're looking at it um, we have to get through 15 whole numbers and by 24 hours later we've broadcast those those numbers and across a huge range of genres as Andy says so to get through that in the time with everything else that demands of a big LE show is pretty high pressure and it makes for some long hours and the way we work is very particularly with the music side of things is a very um, sort of iterative process so that first band call is very much time for Dave really to get the, the band together because they haven't seen the dots they all need to work out what they're doing and Andy and I are very much sort of just lurking in the background making snapshots as we go and trying to capture what we can from it then the next day, as we do camera rehearsals of the band, we're refining the mix. And then any breaks that we have, lunch breaks, tea breaks, whatever, Dave will come in and we'll turn around the tracks off a Reaper 
multi-track and we'll refine the mix even further so we're gradually just getting the mix closer and closer so that hopefully by the transmission we've got something that we're all very proud of which is usually the case um so yes it's uh it, that's that's one of the biggest challenges and the production love to push the boundaries it's very much a show that is built on the family of everyone that's involved in it um all the departments work very strongly together it's one of the best shows i've ever worked on for every department looking out for other departments and being aware of their requirements and their problems and doing everything they can to help each other and because of that we can get a, a lot of stuff done and um, production know that so every year they try to put in a new curveball and something a bit extra and we do something that takes us a bit out of our comfort zone that we've not done before um and it's just great to have those extra little challenges so one example of that was a few years ago we had to introduce augmented reality because of covid it wasn't um a good idea to have lots of scene crews coming on doing the quick changes and the vts of lots of set pieces so the idea was that using ar you could paint in the set pieces and then you don't need people to do that bit of it um which is great but of course as anyone who's used ar knows it takes a hell of a lot of computer processing to um take the positions of the cameras and render said graphics into the image yeah. and of course in our world where the director's cutting to the beat of the music they can't suffer seeing everything out of sync so we end up having to put all the pictures that the production gallery see into their correct time domain i.e nine and a half frames out of sync um and they have to direct from that position but that obviously has massive knock-on effects to things like talkback and talkback spill and what people are hearing on the floor and trying to unpick quite where you drive sends to the floor sends to pa um and sends to program from and moreover we don't want to all sit in nine and a half delay uh, nine and a half frames of delay for a whole two and a half hour show uh so we get in and out of that delay while we're on air live on air so we're putting delay in and taking it out which you have to think quite carefully about how you actually achieve that without dropping bits or adding bits <laughs> we had a um, we, we sorry i was going to say we had a fun time actually i think it was three years ago uh, it was was it during lockdown where we actually did the experiment with AR? I mean, went yeah. to another studio just so we could see visually what it was doing. I mean, this is before we were thinking about the delays or anything. And, um, you know, we were all a little bit uncertain about it. How is this going to work? Do we really want to have these sort of objects placed virtually in front, you know, on, on a screen? Um, but you could see straight away the producers, the second we saw it and you could see um, the potential of it, it was just like a no-brainer. It was going to be done. Um, and... Um, it was then that we started to think about, hold on a minute, yes, the delay, that's going to actually be quite tricky to sort out. And I think Rich, Richard and myself, we sort of went away and we, we had a, a fun time of actually trying to work out how we would do it and how we would get in and out of this. Um, and as, as Richard says, it has to be done um, with the director being able to listen to the, the, the live music and be able to cut to the beat and see those pictures. So there was no chance of just putting this on your studio output, putting a delay on your studio output. It had to be done sympathetically and um, we, we had to get in and out of it in a, in a live situation. So we had quite a few occasions where we just about grasped it and we think we knew what we, we were talking about and then it would just slip from your mind. So it was quite a challenge actually to sort of work it out. But I have to say, I think it's, um, we do have the solution now and it does work extremely well. Um, I mean, augmented reality is amazing and I think it, it, it can add huge uh, value to, to the production. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd mentioned in the questions I'd sent you about the augmented stuff. So you, it's about nine frames by the time you finish, which must be interesting yeah. trying to do that with music. That's a nice thing doing sound where, uh, and I guess all departments, but particularly in our area, it's often problem solving and it's great to be posed these problems and then come up with a solution. I, I enjoy finding the, the creative solutions to these things. And yes, it is the, the big curveball with adding that delay is exactly that, having the music and the fact that the whole um, production team wants to see the finished result exactly as it's going to be in sync with the music. There's no point seeing how that massive, beautiful explosion of confetti in an AR world yeah. happens, but only seeing it half a second late, you know, that, that doesn't work. I, I'm, um, I'm so sad that the first time I saw the AR, AR graphics, that's the first thing I thought was, that must be a nightmare for delays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how many, um, during the sort of bigger press sections, how many radio mics have you got open at any one time? And is it a bit of a challenge not knowing who's going to speak next? Um, it is and it isn't. Fortunately, the show for follows a certain pattern so there's a certain predictability about it i mean we do have a large number of rf channels on the the show because every couple wears a radio mic so that's 30 at the start of the series before we've even started the four judges tess and claude we have various uh, guest mics and some extra sort of guest handhelds and so on for when we have singing acts pop acts come in um so there is a lot of rf floating around all wonderfully coordinated by um Jonathan Edwards at Terry Chew. Um, but as I say, we sort of know who's going to talk. So you do get sections like uh, the judges' comments and inevitably people do like to chip in. Anton and Craig often like to have a bit of a ding-dong over what they're saying or Motsi and Craig. So it's more a matter of just very much following the action and keeping your, your eye on things. I mean, the, the studio floor itself is incredibly noisy. It's um, We do it in Elstree and George Lucas too, and that's essentially just a film stage, so everything's been taken in to make it into a TV studio, which means there's actually a lot of hired-in, industrial-style air conditioning, which is very noisy. It's a big room, um, so that has its own problems in terms of PA and exciting the room. And there's... I can't remember how many fixtures Dave Bishop, the lighting designer, did tell me the other day how many lighting fixtures there are, but there's blooming hundreds of them, and they've all got a fan in them. There's projectors that have got fans in them. There's LED screens that have all got fans in them. So the sort of untamed noise floor in the studio is vast, so we very much rely on a combination of using cedar to help tidy that up, and also we mix on a, a Studio Vista X, and that's got Vista Mix in it, which we use a lot to just you know help us along the way uh by helping us mix those things it means you don't have to keep you're not mixing everything so hard just trying to keep the noise down you can be a lot more um just sit on a, a level and if someone chips in that, that they get heard which helps us immensely it must get nicer towards the end when there's less mics live and yeah from a yeah it certainly gets better i mean the arc of the series is such that as that happens what we at the start of the year in august we start by recording a lot of the group dances now before the, the series starts which again came out of covid really because it wasn't we used to record them just before we went on air and all the pros would do a quick costume change and then be ready for doing the main show can't really do that in covid because you couldn't have 10 15 pros all rushing into wardrobe and makeup uh, and so we had to pre-record it and it's sort of 
is something that stuck because it gives production a lot more um, uh, freedom to do things a bit more interesting, bigger set pieces, mm. um, more technically challenging because you're not trying to do it knowing that you're going to be on air in half an hour sort of thing. Uh, so it stuck. So that's, that, that buys us some extra time at the start of the series where principally all we're worried about are the couple's dances. What we find as we get to this stage of the series is that although we've now got less couples, we now start doing the group dances again. So that's an extra whole lump of material we need to get through every week. So just as you're thinking it's getting easier, there's always something that um, throws a curveball. And there's things like the move to Blackpool, which is a big uh, date in the calendar, but it's a huge show to move as an OB. And we do the Christmas show in a week or so. So there's, there's plenty of extra stuff to keep us going. Yeah, I'd, 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 sorry, I'd, I'd, I'd forgot when I put the questions together about the Blackpool um, uh, event. I guess that just throws a whole new level of um, requirements and, and and workflow for for the whole job. It does, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a huge undertaking to take the show on the road. Um, so yeah, we we um, basically take out our radio mics and our splits, and we work with uh, Plus Four Audio and Terry Two. Um, so we sort of do quite a big rig of um, the studio and then move it up north. Um, so the PA guys will be up there sort of earlier on in the week. So they'll be up on the Tuesday, I think, um, of the week when the show's on the Saturday, rigging the PA. Uh, we come in on a Wednesday and we have um, a, a sound truck. We use Red TX um, for our, our sound truck. Rig up our uh, load of fiber stage boxes, um, holds of Mons World, which is built up and on the, the edge of the dance, on, on the edge of the dance floor. Um, so yeah, it's a huge rig, um, but we sort of, um, I don't know, it's quite good fun as well. It's a nice, it, it, it's, it's sort of good to take the show. I always call it a bit of a masochistic pleasure actually doing that show up, up in Blackpool, but I think it's, you know, everyone enjoys the challenge, the challenge of it. Yeah, very much so. And it's, it's a beautiful dance hall. I mean, when you walk out there for the first time and see the actual room, it's absolutely stunning. So, and I think that shows on camera. I can't believe how much bigger it looks than the ballroom mm. um, that they use for the main show. Yeah, it is. It's fast. It's yeah. That's often why they have extra dancers and so on in, because otherwise the couples would just be lost on the dance floor. Yeah. It's, it's such a big space. But it, it's great. And to have an audience of that size to play with is lovely. You know, it's it's brilliant. And what is the, I can't remember what the size audience is actually in Blackpool. How many do we have up there? I think it's like 1,500 or something is like that. Is it really? Gosh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And but yeah, fantastic atmosphere then. So do you do you mix the whole thing out of the Red TX truck? We do. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with Red, Red TX. It's a, a run by Oli Nisham. It's yeah. a fantastic truck. Um, it has a, a Studevista 8 in it, but it's got a lot of space as well. So actually what we do is set up a uh, another desk behind the Vista X, um, which Richard does. We, we sort of keep our traditional mixing roles of... Um, me looking after the music and Richard looking after the prayers, more or less. Um, and then behind that, we have Nancy, who's our grandma, and she has her uh, another desk for her position. So we can fit all of that quite comfortably. And I think actually people who visit us are very envious of our, our space. It's a really nice, cosy, um, really good, lovely space to work in. So With a nice coffee machine. Very important, yeah. yeah that's, that is the most important thing. I mean, I, I don't know if I went up when we did the soccer thing together, um, whether I told you about my pelicase that is solely for coffee. Yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> People think I've got like tools in there and then I sort of open it up and there's a coffee grinder <laughs> and bits and pieces. It's like, no, it's just, just for that. It was meant for tools, but um, yeah, no, I don't guarantee much anymore. Yeah. So it's just, just coffee. <laughs> Yeah, the important stuff. Yeah. We can get through the day with the coffee. No, that's it. That's it, in team. What? Who's the facilities for the OB side of the um, Blackpool? And are they just are they literally just a, an empty space in sound at that point? It's traditionally it's been EMG who do a wonderful job on the show. Um, we used to actually years ago when Tony used to do it, he started off actually mixing the present in the end of the truck, and then we uh, Tony actually came up with this wonderful idea of putting another desk in Red TX and. Um, encroaching on Andy's space and the uh, the coffee machine that he had. <laughs> and it actually became a real boon because comms now on all these shows has become so sophisticated and so yeah. complicated. That just means that in the main scanner, the uh, guarantee in there can just worry about all the comms. And it means for us doing the show, we don't have all the chitter-chatter trying to fix and get all the comms up and running while we're trying to concentrate on the show and vice versa. They don't have us chatting about what colour glitter we're going to throw on things. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was great. And then, of course, the rest of the scanner has all the production staff and the EVS and all those roles fulfilled within the in a, in a normal sort of way. I think I have worked in, uh, not, well, not worked in, but worked with Red TX on, I think it was Cat Stevens um, live at the uh, Apollo in London or Hammersmith Apollo or something years and years ago. That'd be right. Do you um, have to have the floor crew get quite creative at times with rigging microphones on, on the dancers yes <laughs> in a simple word we again this is where um collaboration between departments is absolutely key because we actually lean on the wardrobe department immensely and they help us out because we for all the couples we actually sew all the mics into the costumes there was um, an occasion many years ago now where the mics were just clipped on in the traditional fashion. They had their dance, and as people do in a dance, they got quite intimate, and then they came to the point in the dance where they had to separate, and Kelsbury's they couldn't because all their mics were clipped together now. Uh, and Bruce had to run onto this floor, and it all stopped, and it was all chaos, and that's to um, redo it, and made for a great bit of uh, when TV goes wrong telly. But um, it sort of became a thing that we didn't really want that to happen again, so all the mics are sewn in. Um and that takes a lot of working from our floor team with the wardrobe department to get the mics in the optimum position for us, but working around some of the costumes that are, you know, they can go from being very bouffant over the top things to things that are a lot more slinky and um, discreet. And you're probably wondering where they put the mic packs, and I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's some quite creative places where they end up as well. <laughs> yeah, we're reaching a point now where um, we're going to double up the dances and actually for the final, they'll be doing three dances. So... They don't have one pack, they'll have three, so each person will have three packs sewn into different costumes. So um, it sort of expands radio mic wise as we now come into the final. And are they just a standard sort of Sennheiser or WYSICOM style uh, transmitter? Exactly that. Yeah, we're, we're all WYSICOM now, yeah. but yes, exactly that. It's about having a certain amount of consistency across all the mics as yeah. well that we, that we need. Um, and they, they manage, they're small enough that they manage to find places for them so it does work very well we do lose a few mics the actual mic bodies along the way throughout the series because um somebody gets over enthusiastic cutting them out of the costume and they cut through the cable <laughs> oh, so God. there's always a few that go back in two pieces but uh you know that's that's the that's what happens <laughs> that's life is I, I guess there would have to be sort of a level of planning of where to put the mic depend uh, the, the, the transmitter depending on where the dancer was being thrown about if they were you know being skidding along the floor or something 
Yes. I mean, fortunately, a lot of our dancers don't get too much into that. But yes, certainly when they get into the street stuff and so on, it is definitely a consideration. Health and safety, mm. always first. And they're very expensive mic packs, so we don't want to break them. Do you set, have sort of a regular floor crew that do this? We do, yeah. So um, very tight team and, and, you know, we hugely rely on them. Um, I think over the past 14 years, we've, we've pretty much kept a core crew on 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 Strictly and, um, you know, we totally rely on their expertise to get us through. Mm. And uh, In fact, I mean... Richard and myself will be unaware of many of the problems and challenges that they're facing. All of the, they will just be proactively sorting things out. So we um, absolutely rely on their expertise, and it's it's um, they are an absolutely incredible sound crew. Yeah, it's good when when you can have consistency. Yes, absolutely. And there's nothing you can throw at them that they won't be fa- you know they're never phased by anything. They always make it happen, and it's it's brilliant. And they they have a very good working workflow because it's a well-established show, I guess, but. For instance, there'll always be somebody listening at the rack when a couple comes onto the floor to have a listen to their mic. So if there are any issues with rustling or if the mic isn't, uh, hasn't been turned on or those sort of things, they're headed off far ahead of when Andy and I need it. So we do have spare mics mm. available to us, but we very rarely use them. Uh, and if it's got that far, we know it's been quite a catastrophic failure because they haven't managed to get in there and sort it out, which nine times out of ten, nine point nine. Times out of ten, they managed to resolve it before Andy and I are even aware of it. What what is the go to backup if say during a dance, one of the dancers, one of the performers sort of bust a mic or something? Because I guess from a live TV point of view, it looks like they literally finish the dance and walk straight over. I mean, pretty much. If 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 one of the couple's mics was to fail, then we just pull it in on on the other couple's mic. So generally, you know, this sort of we can proactively sort of manage that sort of thing. I mean, if it was really a catastrophic fail, then we do have hand mics which can be taken in. But normally there's a sort of space of a few seconds to actually get a spare mic in. Mm. And, and as Richard says, you know, the crew are monitoring all the time. So they're aware of a problem before we need it. So they will yeah. be sorting that out themselves. That's good. Because that's one of the other sort of sad TV thoughts I had was it must be a nightmare for spares. You know, big open space there for something to go wrong. That's, again, one of the complexities of going up to Blackpool in particular, but in general across the whole show is planning for the disaster recovery can often be a a bigger ogre than um, actually planning the main main show. So we do have, we even still keep cabled ultimates that should we lose all our RF and lose everything, we've got 58 on the end of a bit of copper that we can throw in, which we diligently test every week and then put back in the box and hope that we never ever need because if we've got that far, it's a bad day. That would be an exciting show if we ever went to that, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, from from the band perspective, how how much is going on there? Like, obviously, you can't really see it from from the TV coverage, how many members and how, you know. So, yeah, it's a shame, actually, because I think, yes, it's sort of, often not that obvious sort of how big the band is but um essentially it's dave arch who's the md he has a keyboard set up himself he can also play uh, guitar um percussion so we have sort of mics set up for that for dave then we have uh, a drummer um a percussionist um two guitarists who either play electric or acoustic or banjo or any other string sort of um, guitar type instruments um we have a bass player um, another, sorry, two other keyboard players, um, Pete and Jeff. Um, one of who actually runs. So Jeff also runs a Logic playback system. So when we do need to augment or, or to augment the, the live band, um, 
he does have some tracks and some stems which you can play back mm. um, and then four singers as well um, so during COVID actually we uh, also before COVID we used to have a live brass and woodwind section um, but uh, when we came into COVID and we actually kept the show running but we needed to socially distance band members we did um, lose the brass and woodwind section at that time and had them as pre-recorded stems um, just because we needed to spread people out more in the band's area um, that has actually stuck um, which is a shame in a way but we do it does mean we still have live players but they're recorded on the Thursday um, before the Friday rehearsal um, so Dave basically works it so after the show on Saturday he starts writing for the next week so he'll start writing the scores um, throughout the week up to Thursday when he'll record the brass and woodwind stems and then uh, we'll have the live then we'll have the live musicians in on Friday night for their session and we'll run the stem playbacks at that time so that's essentially the band and we're um I think we're on 80 86 circuits now for wow. for the band he he must be non-stop then uh, the MD he absolutely full-on I mean yeah incredibly busy I mean he's he's Dave Dave is a genius. He's um, uh, the, the loveliest person to work with, incredibly clever, and just um, his attention to detail is, is absolutely incredible. Um, so, yeah, we, we, um, um, he, he does. He just works absolutely flat out at this time of year. I mean, as well as doing Strictly, he also does the Royal Variety Show. So I think he's busy with that at the moment as well. And obviously we've got the Christmas show as well coming up next week. So, yeah, he's been very full on recently uh, robert edwards mentioned that he worked with dave's dad um for quite a number of years the other day i don't know if he's, he couldn't remember if he told you no he hadn't mentioned that to me yeah i think it was Gwyn, i believe have to uh, pick his brains about that yeah we'll have to <laughs> i wasn't aware of that <laughs> yeah he, he, i forget where he said um it was now but yeah he mentioned that he'd, he'd worked with him for a number of years um very early in his career Okay. Yeah. Mm. Dave is brilliant. He's he's a very clever man and very super super talented. It's 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 a, a dream band. Um, in fact, the whole band are brilliant. I mean, they're they're such amazing players. To get players like that that sit in, read the dots, and they normally play something down first time, and it's pretty spot on straight away out the gate. And it's uh, you know just there's there's plenty of other bands that you work with that aren't like that. Yeah, I mean, say that. And I think just for covering the different genres of music, it's it's just it is amazing what they can do. But also for the singers to cover those genres as well. So they're just so hugely talented, and and they literally can go across any genre. Yeah, the switch between jumping from like you say genre to genre must must drive them mad at times. Mm. And what because quite often they jump between being lead lines and doing chorus stuff as well to be able to get the various parts in and the various harmonies in. And it's, I, I always remember a wonderful time where there was a particular song that we were doing that had some tricky harmonies. And so all the vocalists came into the sound gallery to try and work it out. And we kept playing over a section while they tried bits. And it was just incredible to hear them switching between parts. We'd do a pass and they say, oh, no, no, you take that harmony. I'll take this bit and so on. Let's have another go. And just straight away, there they go and do it and try it and work out all the inversions and everything. And it, it just was magical to watch them work together like that is they are absolutely phenomenal because obviously with um the magic of tv making you know this makes the show run look look like it runs to time 
is it fully live from the moment it goes on air to there's, there's no like tr- yeah. you know no some shows where you trick it trick the, the the only ever pre-recorded bits are the group dances uh just because of the scale of them and the costume changes and set yeah. changes involved in them but everything else you see is absolutely literally there's no transmission delay there's no nothing it's literally as soon as we fade it up you hear it and and that that's it when i've watched it a couple of times i've sort of thought to myself I've obviously worked on shows where there's been, you know, you can sort of make time up a little bit from various bits, and I've always wondered that because mm. the, the, the changeover seems so, so slick. To, to, I mean, the, the respite for us is really, I mean, as the show runs, there are VTs that are played in, yeah. so for the couples, um, just a refresher on what they've been doing that week and what they're working towards. And so, I mean, that actually is our breathing space to sort of gather our thoughts and to actually get ready for the next section. So, I mean, in terms of um, how the show runs, uh, it's there's um it there's a routine to it and um we always talk about the muscle memory of actually working on the show and and sort of um getting them to a point we get through the opening we'll go to that first couple's bt and that's where we can actually sort of put the speakers into in for a tiny bit and we can just sort of gather our thoughts and get ready for the next section so it's it's you know from that point of view it it makes it manageable i suppose so it's it's not sort of like we're having to be absolutely full-on the whole time but it's still a very intense experience mixing the show after after having like christmas till the is it early autumn off from doing it do you, do you find that the first one back you sort of right we're into this now i mean yeah. it's amazing when we and start the series because say so when we start the series yeah. um, and we just think wow you know we've now got four months until we finish and it just seems like a as Richard described as a juggernaut show, but it's absolutely incredible how fast it goes. And I can't believe we're, is it week 11 now of the show um, yeah. this, this weekend? It's just gone so fast. Do you have any bits of kit on the, that you use on it that you couldn't live without? Apart from the um, obvious ones like the desk and, you know. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, you say obvious one, but actually we're, we use Studio Vista, uh, Vista X. And for this show, for what we do, it is absolutely the right desk for the job and it's brilliant we um we rely on the snapshots so much and the the ability to be able to uh isolate things and manage that isolation on that desk is second to none um and we what we also do when we recall the snapshots is take midi from the desk and we use that to actually change a whole host of other things in the gallery to make it right for each song that we do and one of the nice things nice toolkits that we have now is a thing called um, a universal audio live rack which is basically a load of sonic plugins that we can put in circuit for reverbs delays but also dynamics and chorusing and eqs and all sorts of things whatever you like and we use that a lot in the music side of things now to try and get the sounds that we're looking for it's um i have to say i don't get too hung up on the esotericness of it that some people do but when you want a an 80s gated reverb being able to pull up an rmx 16 um it's you're just there you're immediately transported back to the 80s because of course that's what they would have used so it works um and so certainly for me now the the uad is can't live without tool um the desk is definitely a can't live without tool i wouldn't want to do it on another desk um how about you andy what's some of your go-tos? Um, no, I'm exactly mirror what you said. I mean, the desk is absolutely essential for the workflow. Um, and it is hard to imagine doing it on another on another, on another another desk, I guess. Um, 
So, I mean, all the tools really, I mean, um, it's sort of evolved over the years. And as you say, because the music's become uh, so, it has to be so precise. And we have a, um, our music producer, Ian, is, is amazing, but you know, he also throws some real challenges at us. We do absolutely rely on the technology to be able to deliver that. Um, but apart from that, um, things that we couldn't do without, I mean, a fantastic talkback system. So we have a um, Riedel talkback system. Um, it just has to be uh, something that can be quickly, quickly, you know, quickly cater for the demands of everyone, really. And that's sort of how we've sort of we got to a point where we can do that with the with the kit that we have. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to sort of think of one or two things. It, the whole infrastructure has come together to sort of make that show work for us. It's interesting that the Studer, because I, I learned to do TV on a Studer Vista 8, I think it was. And... Looking back now, it used to drive me mad as a desk, <laughs> just because I always found the routing quite, uh, you know, compared to the Calrec now, it seems quite complicated. But you know, I, I never got to use it for like a music, um, any, any music on it or anything. So yeah. it, it feels like that's it would be a lot really better for that. Its, yeah, that's where it really comes into its own. Is doing entertainment shows. It's just phenomenal and the power of the snapshotting and the masking and the isolates and being able to take MIDI in, send MIDI out. It's it's just hugely flexible and it as ever with all these things, it's about being able to get at things quickly and react quickly as we we sort of banged on a bit. We don't have much time uh, to turn stuff around, so you need the desk to work with you and to, to enable enable to get stuff and that the studio really does. I mean, the other thing I'd say about it is that for us mixing together at one desk, it's it's great because it's. It's actually very fluid the way that you can lay the desk out. You, you don't find you don't have to put down a hard barrier uh, between sort of the left and the right hand side. We can sort of just, as Richard said, you know, if I need to help out with something, I can just drag and drop some faders over to my side. Um, and that whole sort of um, yeah, quick two person operation. We're not sort of um, we we can do that simultaneously and and not get in each other's way at all. So I think that's another big selling point of that of the Vista. Yeah. How many how many faders is it? The seventy two. It's um it's the biggest one. I mean actually the desk's been in there. So we did used to have a, a Vista rate in in the gallery, um, which I upgraded in two thousand fifteen. Now it's amazing. I think it was eight years ago, but um, actually February two thousand fifteen we put the new desk in. So. Um, that was actually one of the first Vista X's that that Studa manufactured. Um, and yeah, 72 faders, which is as large as it can be. Um, but actually we do really use up all of that, that fader space. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's pretty full on. People yeah. often laugh. I mean, there's a strip overview where you can see everything laid out on the desk. People often laugh at us because it's basically full. <laughs> yeah, exactly. much space. Are you, are you using pretty much every layer, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. And um, the cedars, the cedars are the other bit of kit I couldn't live without. They're just the, the noise reduction. It, it's funny actually because when we get visitors and we we do a bit of a demo with the cedars and uh, you know we explain the challenges of the studio and the noise floor in there but people are absolutely gobsmacked when we take them out of circuit how much noise and actually what the cedar is doing I, I just don't think we could possibly do that show or a lot of entertainment shows these days without um without that bit of kit it's it's incredible do you have any favorite moments for over the, over the years of working on it um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think um, 
there are, it's quite an emotional show. There are points in the show where you do really get caught in the whole story. And I think um, one of the best moments actually was was last year uh, where we had um, Rose um, as a dancer. And actually, it was a, it's sort of quite a note um, a notable point in in our in our sound careers where. Um, we did well by not having any sound yeah. <laughs> for um so during her dance actually it was her basically um showing what it was like to be deaf and um so for a sequence in the song we we took um the band we took the band out so they stopped playing um it was an amazing moment so definitely one of my favorite moments and i think it did sort of capture the public imagination as well it was a, an amazing time yeah i remember seeing that yeah hmm. Yeah, that, that was truly special. I think the best bit for me was the cock up a thon. <laughs> well, um, one of the, we haven't done it since, surprisingly, um, but what, one of the old stalwarts of uh, come dancing was to have all the couples dancing on the floor and the judges would be watching and they would hold up paddles and sort of decide a couple they didn't think was very good and they would have to leave the floor and eventually you're left with the winning couple and there's a, another way of just doing a competition really and we did it and all the judges were scoring um and out of that scoring after the dance we would reveal who had won that dance and who had sadly lost and that would just sort of count in some way to their overall score but all the scoring for whatever reason went completely um wrong and let me say that it became bruno who was the voice of reason trying to glue it all together and when bruno's the voice <laughs> of reason you know things have gone pretty badly wrong um and it just was it's one of those moments that you're sat there mixing it feeling like this is just a rehearsal where it's all gone a bit off track but realizing that actually this is live to air and this is all happening <laughs> and you just have to stick with it and you know some of the best bits are when it goes wrong you know, and nobody, nobody was hurt. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's right as well. And also worth saying that I think the times we enjoy mixing most is when it does go a little bit off track and you really are sort of, um, you know, you're not sure which way it's going to go and it can be huge fun to be in that situation. I mean, obviously we don't want things to go wrong, but I think there's sort of, particularly on live television, those moments are quite magical as well. And actually you can be caught up in sort of the fun of that, that sort of moment. So yeah, they're, they're great but when, when that sort of thing happens. Do you have a worst moment from the, the from your own point of view of, 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 of the mixing side of it? I, I've certainly got a worst moment and that was um, a few years ago. In fact, uh, something that prompted our upgrade uh, to the Vista X was we had a the older Vista 8 um, actually had come from Television Centre and so it wasn't a new desk when we installed it in 2013 and um, when we moved to Elstree and actually it was sort of reaching a point near the end of its life let's say and I was mixing with Tony and uh, um, suddenly we saw this icon come up on the on the on the GUI screen which is a, basically a flame and uh, where we thought oh, what, what's going on there and suddenly the whole desk had become very sluggish and um, thinking what on earth is going wrong here yeah, and it turns out that the, the processors um, were basically completely working at, you know, 100% and they were heating up to sort of like 100 degrees. And we really thought the desk was about to just collapse and we were about 10 minutes from going on air. And it was a very, very scary moment. So, you know, in, in that situation, you're completely distracted from the actual job of mixing and you're just trying to sort of firefight a situation. And, and actually what we did, yeah, it was a, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've, I never realised that someone had a sense of humour to put a fire symbol, you know, a little flame symbol on the on the screen. But anyway, 
uh, we, we got some fans, opened up as much of the desk as we could underneath and just got through the show. Thankfully, you know, we've been um, sort of trying to cool it down. I mean, it turned out actually what had happened was that there was some small routine within the desk that had got stuck and it kept on trying to call this routine up and it was causing the CPU to overheat. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure we're not the first to have computer problems, but that was scary. And um, yeah, I wouldn't ever want that to happen again. I had a student where the it no longer knew that it was a sound desk. <laughs> I forget the guy. I forget his name now. Um, he was like um, one of the guys from Studio in this country. I rang him to get the. I managed to like get the BIOS battery changed and get everything sort of it powered back up. And I rang to see if he, anybody knew the BIOS settings for it. And he was in on holiday in Hawaii. And he had to go find an internet cafe to email me the, the document with the settings for the desk on it. <laughs> That's broadcasting. Yeah. But our, at the time, our unit manager was like, well, why don't we just order another desk from, from Gearhouse? They're, they're only like a mile away. It's like, it's not that, quite that simple. <laughs> it's not as easy no, as that. No. How, how yeah, about you? Many years ago, I, I did a show where the whole desk died in the scanner and the production manager basically said the same thing. So, well, can we just not bring another desk in? It's kind of, well, there's, there's a lot of stuff hanging off this yeah. desk. It's not that easy. Do, do you have a worse uh, moment, Richard? Um, I sort of have a similar moment. I mean, it's terrible when you start going down the worst moments, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's, it's, I um, think they're always the best, though, aren't they? Like, it's like you say, yeah. the, the best moments are the best moments, but the worst ones always become... You know, yeah, the the, the over a pint lost, conversation. Yes, absolutely. There, there was one night where I certainly lost my um, one of my nine sound supervisor lives, as it were. <laughs> um, where a bit like your story, really, the desk just didn't want to play ball, and it got itself its knickers into a right old twist, and it started doing things that I've never seen it do before. And bless it, it was obviously desperately just trying to carry on. Um, you know, good British spirit. I'll I'll get through this. I'll, I'll make this happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was at the point of phoning up the production manager saying, I don't think we've got a show tomorrow. I think this is wow. not going to happen. But uh, magically, we found the uh, the weak link, uh, as ever. All these things just come down to one little thing, which, yeah. when you find it, uh, that was rectified, and it was it was absolutely fine. <laughs> you wouldn't have known. <laughs> but uh, it was very, um, that was a, yeah, that was a painful bank call, that was. <laughs> do you, at, the, at the start of the year, do you uh, have a little bet between yourselves as to who's going to win? <laughs> oh yes definitely oh yeah 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 no, well actually we, we well i suppose oh, we'll, we'll let you know but we do run a sweet stake so yeah. um yeah who, of course who, everyone who, does <laughs> so at week 11 um who's, who's your money on at the minute oh well uh, yeah. i think ellie my money's on ellie she's very good but they're all good as as i say it's a tremendous show at every level to be a part of because you know people we always joke because when we start doing the group dances at the end of August, it's usually blazing hot sunshine and it's really lovely mm. outside and we all turn up to work in shorts. <laughs> and, you know, look at us now, we're putting on the big duvet coats and it's it's freezing as ever, anything. And to be part of people's wind down to Christmas uh, over the autumn, uh, it's, it's a lovely thing to be a part of. And that, that was another thing during COVID, really, where the show really stepped up. And because there wasn't much fun in the world at that time, Strictly was a little glint of glitter and excitement. And I remember there was one occasion where, well, Boris, drawing it, realised that 
he got quite a large audience on Strictly. So if he did his announcements just before Strictly, there'd be lots of people watching. So he did lots of his prime ministerial announcements just before. And there's one in particular where the one where he's famously cancelling Christmas, um, and we had to go on air just after that, and we were being held up going on air. It was a very strange feeling to be held up that long going on air, knowing that it was Boris holding it up. And I believe it is rumoured that uh, the Director-General actually said, if Boris doesn't shut up soon, we'll move him to BBC Two and Strictly's going on, because that's what the nation needs. Um, that's like the worst warm-up act. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and exactly that. It's very strange to come out of that bad news and try and pick the nation up and say, yeah. right, well, that's happened, but let's have some fun, you know. And it was, it, you sort of felt a real connection with the audience in that way. It was uh, uh, to be in people's lounges and to be talking to them. So to be, be a part of that is just phenomenal. It's, I, yeah, it's great. So as I'd like to say, I totally agree. I mean, the show itself is the warmest show, the loveliest uh, teams all around. And I think it's it sort of, Hopefully, um, well, I'm, actually, I'm sure it does. It comes across on camera and that, that warmth and spirit that, that exists within Strictly. Um, and it's really unlike any other show and it's just such a lovely thing to work on. And does that, once it's done, is that sort of your Christmas period, just relaxed then for a bit or are you straight into something else? Um, I, certainly for me, I was going to say, for me, it's relaxed. I think it's for a lot of people, it's, it's sort of Strictly is sort of signifies the beginning of Christmas in many ways. So, um, I'm sure it's different for Richard. He'll be straight into something else. I'm sure, but I've got a, I've got a bit of time <laughs> off. <laughs> but it's um, yeah, a de definitely a time to sort of fall apart. I know it is for Dave Arch. That's for sure. He's sort of um, well, he'll get to uh, do the last show, and then hopefully he'll he'll be able to just go and relax on his sofa at home for a while. Yeah, and I always I love the uh, Christmas break because I always it's the one time of year that I can stop and uh, not feel guilty about not doing anything. Um, you know, for and for both of us during the whole Strictly run. Uh, you, the time does pass very quickly because you're into a complete routine where you do one week and then mm. as soon as you finish one week, literally that night, the concept document comes out for the following week. Uh, the, the wonderful dance team, you know, sit up to the early hours working that out and sending it all out to us. And so immediately you're planning what you need to do next week and you just get into that routine that before you know it. So when it's actually a bit of a strange thing at the end of it all because it all stops and it's going, yeah. well, where, where's everyone gone? Um where have all the emails gone? It's been very <laughs> quiet. Um, so I love just stopping over Christmas, but yeah, I've got some stuff in the new year. I, I do things like RuPaul's Drag Race, which yeah. we often shoot around that time of year and, and those sort of things. So yeah, enough to look forward to. I'm sure there's people looking for football mixing on Boxing Day if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> I do often get a text message actually, but um, I'm usually too many gins down by then. Uh -huh. and, well, I was going to say, Richard, you're, you're quite an expert on football, aren't you? Oh yeah, I yeah. I mean, we worked together, Chris, on Soccer Aid, and you'll see my expert um, football knowledge. I mean, that's the one they pick it up, isn't it? Oh, no, no, that yeah. kick. I don't know. They do have an audience, don't they? And audience might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think Soccer Aid might might have been the easiest job that I've done in a long time, from my point of view, because <laughs> this was it was a stereo football match with no commentary. I was like, yeah, fine, do this. <laughs> Yeah, come back next year. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, well, I can't remember what month it was now. Uh, is it June or July? Ju yeah, so June. So it does move around a bit, but yeah, yeah. I think June next year. Because I'm, I'm at the, uh, I'm in Germany for the Euros, June and July next year. Oh, now. Of course. Yeah. So yeah, I, I hope I'm going to get the chance to do it though, because it was it was a nice nice job because it was it, as I say it was yeah. the easiest football match I've mixed. <laughs> 
And I think you were quite surprised on the day, weren't you? When well, the I, saying, no, I think there's, no, there's nothing else. There's, there's no tunnel. There's no yeah. nothing. I think I think I asked you a couple <laughs> of questions, and I was like, "There's nothing on this. Just just some pitch mics." Yeah. Shh. <laughs> well, that's fine. You know, it's, it's all good but with me. The, the key is, though, you do your bit. I wouldn't do what you do because I've never mixed a football match like you do. I, I wouldn't know where to start. It's not what I do. You know, give me a band. I'm I'm well away, but give me a football pitch. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> well, so, I, I get dropped um, in with one, one LE show. I get like one LE show a year, and that's enough for me at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the lovely thing about our job, isn't it? That we, we all do the same job. It same, says the same thing on our job card as it were but it's yeah. a big venn diagram of stuff where there's a lot of overlap and then there's a lot of differences as well and that's i, I love for me that's why i like doing soccer aids because it gives me a step into that sport world that i never mm. see and i know it's not a real glimpse but um it's a fascinating world because it's not something i'm a part of but um there's obviously a lot of sport out there it, yeah it all happens and you guys do a great job it's you know it, it's interesting that you do sort of like you say, there's a there's a very defined line sometimes between sound supervisors who only do one thing and one you know another thing, and you know it is it is the same job description but two totally different disciplines really. It is, yeah. It's funny. I I have actually worked on um, well the World Cup and on um, the Euros a, a few times. Normally at the IBC, but a few years ago actually it was in when it was in Poland and Ukraine. I ended up. Um, uh, because the main commentary engineer um, had to go back to the UK. Um, so I ended up touring around um, Ukraine and Poland with Guy Mowbray and Mark Lawrence <laughs> working on the commentary. Yeah. I, I really know nothing about football at all. And it was, my son could not believe it. He's such a big football fan and he just could not understand how unfair the world would be when <laughs> I was sort of going along to these, uh, these, these, these big matches and watching it. So, but I loved it. Absolutely brilliant. So, you know, the variety of being able to do that was, mm. was incredible. Yeah, the, the the soccer aid thing did open my eyes to how, like walking into your truck and seeing the racks of uh, Universal Audio stuff mm -hmm. and your Reaper setups, and I was like, I'm just gonna go back next door. And um, I I literally just just bought one of the RME Digifaces, so I, was, I spent time like messing about with that during my time waiting for things to get rigged. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, going it's back good. to kit was really essential. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna big up uh, Reaper actually because that has become our, our multi-track now and it's a, a fabulous uh, fabulous um, multi-track door it just works extremely well for what we want and it's i think you know very configurable and um yeah so just put a bit of advertising in for reaper <laughs> yeah I've, I, you know I've, i think with having a mark and logic i've, I've ne never needing to look at reaper I've, I've never like had much of a play about with it to be honest yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it, what I love about it is it, it's sort of elegant, I think, and it's simple to use, but it is very customizable. So, I mean, you know, it, it, I suppose for us, it's it sort of, we're not using it um, as an in-the-box editing tool. We are literally recording um, lots of tracks. I mean, it's set up with three magic streams, so we can record up to 192 tracks on it, which I think we've filled up now, Richard, haven't we, pretty much? I think we have, yeah. If you give me a track, I'll fill it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's been great for us. And uh, obviously Dave comes in and we use it to turn around mixes and, and refine them. So, uh, yeah. Before we started, uh, Andy mentioned that you both worked on Eurovision this year. Um, and I spoke to Robert Edwards uh, last week about his, his, his work on that. How did you get involved with it? I was fortunate enough that, because uh, I, when I saw that, well, going back then, I was watching Eurovision the year before and, um, 
I quite enjoy Eurovision, so the rest of the family have gone to bed because I don't think they enjoy it quite as much as I do. And I was possibly a, a bottle or two of wine down. Um, and I was watching it, and I, it looked, uh, you know, amazingly like it might come the way of the UK. And I was thinking, blimey, if this comes to the UK, I want to be a part of this. This is, you know, it'd just be amazing on the bucket list of shows to do. Um, and so uncharacteristically for me, uh, when it was clear that it was going to come over here uh, on the behalf of Ukraine, I actually started trying to track down who was going to be producing it and getting in touch with them and sort of saying, waving the flag, saying, I want to be a part of this. So they're very kind enough to interview me for the role. Um, sort of, unfortunately, I didn't get the job, but Robert did. And in hindsight, it was the best choice ever. He was totally the right man for the job um and as it was that year or this year i wouldn't have had the time to do all the preparation work that i saw he had to do um but i was fortunate enough that robert was really kind and phoned me up and said do you want to come and join me and mix the press side of it um uh, and i bit his arm off and said yes absolutely i actually remember sending him an email saying you know that i went for the job so if i overstep my mark i know you're the boss but i've got lots of ideas so if i say anything that i'm crossing the line you just you know tell me and that's absolutely yeah. fine and he was brilliant he said he took he was very happy to listen to my ideas and we worked well together and then we came along because i was is a similar sort of split that we needed prez and music um we knew that robert was going to be in a another truck being the sort of standby mix and generally overseeing everything um and obviously working with andy so much and knowing how each other works it was a dream team really to to get andy on it and i think you enjoyed your outing didn't you andy it was it was amazing so yes i, I then came on board as well and um actually i worked in conrad's truck the mix bus and, and um, he just installed a, a brand new vista x into the uh, mix bus about two weeks before the event started. So it was quite <laughs> quite um, tight timing, but um, absolutely amazing truck and we had an amazing time. So yeah, I, I looked after the music, the, uh, the international music mix. It was just one of those events, as Richard says, it was um, one of the things in your life that you really want to work on if, if, you know, doing the job that we do. And it was an amazingly special time. And um, yeah, I think we all came away from that just buzzing. It was, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I bet there was a few sleepless. It was really intense. A few sleepless yeah. nights of it, yeah. It's one of those funny things that on one level it is absolutely massive and the scale of it is incredible. And the fact that, you know, reportedly you're mixing to 160 million people. I've never mixed 160 million people before. But actually, come the night, you don't think about it. You just fade it up and off you go. You know, it's it's great. I mean, the whole organisation, Organization, uh, the, the 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 team behind Eurovision are just amazing. I mean, they really have it nailed. And uh, so, you know, we had a meeting actually back in White City. I'm trying to think when it was, Rich, but um, and you know, it was a, a big sort of uh, sort of boardroom and Zoom get together where they sort of told us basically how the show works and um, you know, from our point of view, doing the sounds, how um, the the every country has an allocated time and they're not able to come and talk to us. They're, they're sort of basically kept away from us doing the mix, but we'll get notes back about uh, what they want on the mix. Um, and But you could just tell that they were absolutely on top of it and everything has to be done completely fairly, obviously, down to the second. So you can't give one, one delegate more time than another one. So, you know, we were confident from that point of view that, they, they, that the whole thing would run smoothly. And we were in Liverpool for a month um, 
so actually it was two weeks in before I actually heard a live vocal mm. um, and then it sort of slowly the rehearsals come in until we were running um, all the live shows in the, in the in the last week but yeah a phenomenal experience and it was nuts because the rehearsal prize I'm sure you're aware there's two semi-finals and then the final mm. and we actually did three full dress rehearsals with audiences before actually doing every show so you it particularly on the for the final which is like oh, i don't know it goes on forever three and a half hours or something we dressed it that afternoon and then turned around had some dinner and then did it for real and that's the time i knew i was really doing eurovision was when i was mixing the uh the voting coming in from all yeah. around europe and i thought yeah yeah this is eurovision i'm yeah. here now <laughs> <laughs> my my one piece of le at work this year i said i'd do one a year just you know just, you know, just, just. I think it's just one of those things you have to do, <laughs> from my point of view. Um, was the uh, preliminary uh, handover session that they did in Liverpool um, back in January or February sometime? Yeah. Um, which was I was telling Robert this the other day. It, it started off as two microphones and just a, you know, bit of a press thing with some drawn out what what, what um, semi final group you were going to be in, and then it escalated and escalated to you know, 15 mics, a full grams thing with no grams up. And I was like, it's like half an hour. Yeah. This. <laughs> there's, yeah, grams every 30 every, there's grams every 30 seconds. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. If something moves, it gets a noise. Yeah. That's the, that's but, the rule. <laughs> it, it, the, the funny thing with that was it was, um, I was telling Robert, the, the, the prerequisite was they wanted a supervisor from Liverpool, but they couldn't find one. So they wanted a supervisor from the Northwest, so they couldn't find one. So they went for just the north. <laughs> that was where I came in. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> I think it, I think it was one of those sustainable things that they wanted. Yes. Yeah. When I told them I got an electric yeah. car, it was like, yeah, you're in. Come on, get yourself over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You take a box. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> That's my um, empty box takes. I'm the northern supervisor. We've, we've got one on this job. It's, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Well, th thank you for that. It's been great. Um, and uh, I hope the last couple of episodes, there's about five left now. We've got, uh, th uh, how many have we got? Three, isn't it? Three. Uh, yeah, three. Another three now. Three. Yep, that's it. That's the Christmas show. Well, good, it's been, good luck for the last three. It's been great talking to you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you too. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Well, a massive thanks to Richard and Andy there for taking the time out to talk to me for the podcast. Um, if you are listening to this on the day it's released, then the Strictly final is tomorrow, which is the 16th of December. If you are listening to it in the future, then it's been and gone, and you all know the results now. Um, and I wonder who did win the sweepstake. Um, but yeah, great stuff to have a little peek behind the curtain of how, how that show's put together. So thank you very much again to both of them for joining me. So that's the last episode for 2023. I'll be back in the new year with, with some more shows. I've already got a couple recorded and, and ready to release, however... I didn't think you'd all want to be driving home for Christmas listening to a broadcast audio podcast. Um, that, was a, that was a terrible little uh, Christmas song pun there, wasn't it? I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah. Uh, any, anyway, uh, thanks to everybody who's listened to the podcast and especially people who's got in touch um, to let me know what you think of it. It's been great to hear from everybody and probably see some people in a car park by the bins and all that kind of thing in the, over the Christmas period. And if not, have a good Christmas and a good New Year and we'll be back in 2024.